0: Welcome back to our podcast that could. We love doing it and are so grateful you keep finding us and coming back. I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. I'm Teresa Tobin-Macy. Today's guest, Valerie Gay, is one of those people who when you meet her, you just can't stop smiling or creating ways to make the world a better place and then actually going out and doing it. It would be no surprise if you could hear her smile through her stories as she cheers you on. Val's energy is the first clue that she is a major player and manifester. While she is in awe that we all get the same 24 hours, somehow it feels that she is gifted with way more than that. Hang on and buckle up. This conversation will take you to unexpected places. Welcome back to Anecdotal Anatomy. We are on episode seven. Can't believe we're on episode seven. And we have an incredible guest today. Before I introduce her, I just want to remind you that today's episode is about Pranamaya Kosha. Pranamaya Kosha, it's not about it. It is the lens through which we will be crafting our questions and telling our stories. We've already defined it in the second episode. But it is, just to remind you, it is about our life force energy It is about our vitality. It is some people, if you study traditional Chinese medicine, might call it chi, but it's that prana, it's that life force, the thing that animates us, that moves us. And sometimes it's a little bit lower and it might ask us to rest, (laughs) but this is about our energy. And as soon as I introduce this incredible guest, you will know immediately why we chose her for this particular episode. Valerie V. Gay is a certified financial planner, nonprofit administrator, recording and performing artist, and thought leader. She possesses a unique blend of executive leadership and financial expertise, paired with extensive program development. Val is an active performer across several genres. Performances include operas, special events, and solo concert recitals, including a solo performance at Carnegie Hall. Val has been a serial entrepreneur since 2006. Val is a mission-driven leader and is very interested in making the world a better place and is guided by her personal purpose statement, quote, to use my gifts and talents to encourage, inspire, and empower others to seek and find their own life's potential so that we each can make the world a better place, unquote. Val exercises her purpose creatively through all of her work. Welcome, Val. Oh, I am so excited. This- Welcome, Val. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Teresa. Oh, my gosh. So this is quite a, a list of accomplishments. These are things that you have used your, your talents, your skills, and your energy. You know, Other people might have the same interests. They might have the same qualifications on paper, but it takes that extra thing off the paper, that life force piece, that vitality that is uniquely you to be able to complete, comprise, amalgamate all of these things and create a wholeness. And just knowing you personally, it it doesn't surprise me. But what I love about our knowing you is, how calm you are um, with all of this energy. You have this beautiful balance of this vitality, this vital life force, but there's a sense of open arms, huge heart, you know, please come, you know, uh, there's an inclusivity that when you're in your orbit, it's difficult to not want to stay there.
1: Well, thank you. Can you just follow me around? Yes, please. Oh, I, well, first of all, I appreciate that so much, Sherry. Thank you so much. And and to you, Teresa, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. And it's, you know, I I, I don't know that I would describe myself in that way, because sometimes it feels like uh, there's a whirlwind happening, right? And And I used to have a phrase, I used to say all the time, so much to do, so little time, you know? <laughs> So no, I'm, I'm learning to just seize the moment. And so I'm, I'm so grateful to hear that because it's the, it's the first time I think I've been described in this way, but actually that's not true. Um, recently, people have started saying similar kinds of things that I, at this moment, I'm realizing I wasn't paying attention to. And I think it's the moment that we're in. And I'm hoping that I'm learning the lessons from the moment that we're in, which is that's all we have is the moment that we're in, you know? And so can I be fully present? Now, I will tell you, I wish I, had, I wish I had realized this and embodied this when my daughter was really little, for example. And, you know, there I often say to young mothers, particularly cherish every second of it because you're not going to know which one, which second is going to be the one that's going to stay with you for the balance of your life. And for me, there's this one moment of my daughter's life it was kindergarten, I just remember it, it was in June, it was like 150 degrees, it's kindergarten. I, I always worked, um, we, we lived in Center City and I worked in Center City and so I could easily, and she went to school in Center City, so we, I could walk everywhere. So at lunchtime, I had the privilege of leaving my desk and I was a legal secretary at that point and at the bank and I ran over to school so that I could see my daughter in her first kindergarten play. She was the son, this gorgeous little girl. And I get there and she has the white t-shirt on and she's, you know, she was a little awkward and she was, it was always spilling stuff. Like you, she would walk and there was like this tornado behind her, right? And so the first thing I noticed when I got there, I was like nausea. Why is there chocolate on your pristine white shirt that I just <laughs> got? That was the first thought. The second thing is she was all the way across the room. She saw me come in. And from across the room, she screamed, Mommy, and she just barreled. She was also like a St. Bernard puppy. She barreled <laughs> through and just like did a running leap and jumped on me. And at that point, every I was very much aware that everyone's eyes, their gaze turned towards us and she's leaping in the air towards me. And I grabbed her, hugged her, you know, and then I put her down because I felt embarrassed in that moment because she, we were the only one having this kind of exchange. And what I now know, what I saw on the other's parents' faces was not condemnation, was almost envy. But at the time it felt like condemnation and embarrassment, insecure, my own insecurity and so I just hugged her really quickly, kissed her on either cheek and said, hi, honey, and put her down. But if I could go back, there are very few moments in my life that I wish I could go back to. That's one of the moments that I would just hold my baby tight, hug her, spin her around, tell her how proud I am of her, maybe joke around the fact that her mouth is up here, not on her chest. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I would do that. And so I often say, and because and, and this seems like a tangent, but it's not, because to me, that calmness comes in being in the moment. right? That no matter what else was going on, all I have is this moment, I can't bring some chaos from another moment to this moment because then this moment is going to become chaotic you know and so anyway um so all the parents out there and actually you don't have to be a parent just enjoy each moment because you just don't know when i'm looking
0: at the painting behind you that you had described before the chaos all of the chaos but in that moment you can see that word faith right there everyone i mean we're on audio so i don't know if people unless we do some kind of video (laughs) marketing
1: Oh, Oh, oh we're only on audio this is great Oh my goodness, we put lashes on and everything. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we
0: may do some marketing. Who knows? We might do a little video of that. <laughs> but um,
1: but yeah, like so there's a there's a painting um is by a woman named Tiffany, and her, her, she goes by the name of the American TBD, I think is what it's called. And it's called Finding Faith. So imagine the underpainting are just some really um, interesting and very lightly painted brush strokes. But then the rest of the painting just looks like, I don't know, a squirrel with some paint tied to his tail and someone on his feet just kind of ran through it. and then somebody else came and splattered paint and it's everywhere. And to me, as I, I immediately fell in love with this piece, I discovered this piece when um, we had a gallery program when I ran Art Sanctuary. And the moment I saw it, I knew it was mine. Um, because the word faith is a tiny little word, and it's written in the tiniest, tiniest, uh, the thinnest uh, uh, paintbrush. It just says faith. And but as I said to Sherry and Teresa, the moment you see it, you cannot see it. So to me, this this painting is a metaphor for all of our lives. That there are very few things that we we try to plan things, and then life happens to us. And for me, my own personal grounding is my faith and so if I can find faith then I can not only survive I can thrive and see the beauty in the so-called chaos because to me this is an incredibly beautiful painting
2: and an awesome metaphor yeah I was really struck that your daughter was the sun you know the element of fire And as soon as she saw you, she was able to express that in her joy that you were there, that you showed up. And you, when we asked to prepare, we asked what your favorite element was. And your answer was space. Mm. Right. So here she comes with this beautiful fire, and you put your arms out. You created the space for her to, you know, to greet you with joy and exuberance. And you talk about, like, having space having space around you with all of the chaos that we're talking about in this image. So on the one hand, it seems that, you know, you really recognize that the world and life is very chaotic, mm-hmm. but yet somehow you embrace the element of space.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny to say. I think that, again, a lesson from the pandemic has... Um, that I've been embracing is that the fragility of life that we are we've all experienced in every aspect of our lives, whether it's our, um, our advocation, our vocations, our, our very lives, the, our relationships financially, they've always been fragile. We just, some of us have just chosen not to pay attention to it. Right. And so the reality is we've always been living, let's face it, we live on a ball that is spinning so fast, (laughs) right? And that is close to this thing that could literally burn us up. That If that's not chaotic, I don't know what is. And yet we can find that space to be calm. And so I think if if nothing else the the or among a lot of the things i've learned more gratitude i've learned um honestly to slow down to or to um how do i put it to see the entirety of what is in front of me not just the myopic parts of it i've never really been a a compartmentalized kind of person again most of my stories come by way of my daughter she is I used to joke around, I used to say, oh, I was talking to my therapist, Naja, um, <laughs> you know, she talking a lot. Um, but when she was 17, she said to me, I figured us out. And I was like, really, what is that? And she said, you're a big picture person. You're a big thinker. Everything is related, that's all related. I like boxes. <laughs> I like to have things in boxes. I like things to be in neatly in boxes and maybe or maybe not they touch, but basically don't mess with my boxes. When she said that to me, it was like, oh, everything changed to how we communicated with each other. You know, I had known she had taught me that I needed to, um, when I spoke to her from a very little girl, I needed to prepare her for what was next. Whereas I like to be surprised. She didn't necessarily like surprises at, at, you know, 12 months, she, maybe 14 months, she's just learning how to talk. I made the perfect breakfast, the pancakes with the smiley face, all of it. She's eating. And she was like, mommy, this is good. And I was like, oh, thank you. honey. do you so proud of myself, patting myself on the back, being a good mommy. And then she says, what's for dinner? I'm like, oh my God, can't we just <laughs> breakfast? Like, And the metaphor for how we think so differently. And so because of that, I've realized that I can take how I naturally think and really apply it to everything. So space, we do have the space. We do have the time. We all have been given 24 hours, which is crazy when you think about it. We all have 24 hours, that's amazing in one day. And it's how we decide to spend that time. And then if we swap time for space, we all have this space, the space that we need to do what we need to get done. And so it shifts our agency or our sense of agency. So I no longer feel put upon when I have to do something. I feel like I have agency because I get to do Whatever I get to talk to t- to the two of you on this podcast, I got to put on these lashes that are, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. When you first said that you don't compartmentalize, my mind went to all of the different things you do, and while I'm also a big picture person, I put them in boxes. I compartmentalize them because to me. Um, as more of a right brain, creative thinker who doesn't, uh, you say math, I immediately, you know, tune out, you know, all of that. So all of the things that you do uh, fit in certain categories in my own head. And I did compartmentalize them. But then you said, as the big picture person, everything is connected. And so then that made sense to me that, that both of those things could coexist. Mm -hmm. And that you answered my question was, how do you, or is there a dominant energy that you feel that draws you to, as a creative person, I'm drawn to more creative things that are, and I I tend to tune out for the more linear things. But you have this beautiful balance of the right brain, left brain. Is one, do you find one more dominant? Do you find you're more drawn to one than the other? And when given a choice, do you find it difficult to make that choice? The question is sort of open ended, but your energy, where do you feel your energy is most nourished? And how do you manage the big picture of all of these different things that you're good at and that you love?
1: Sure. So that's a great question. Um, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it in this way, but I am, I am both linear and circular. Someone once called me and I was so hurt and it literally took me two years to say, yes, I am. So you know, um, I'm both, and I I appreciate that because we're it's the totality of who we are. So I I never really described myself as creative, which is funny to me because when I think back, I was always creative. Like when I was 18, I used to wear a watch on my ankle, and. My, my, my community, my church, my parents, everyone, my neighborhood, <laughs> everyone just like kind of held space for me to be myself. I remember one time this guy said to me that I didn't know, I got off the bus with my watch on my ankle and he goes, yo, sis, what time is it? I was like, hold on, as I reached, looked down, like <laughs> yeah, pulling up my foot, you know, and we all just laughed. Um, so I, but I wouldn't have described that myself as creative. However, I knew that I wasn't fully linear either, right? And so, and math, I love math. I love numbers. I love the concepts behind it. And 10th grade, um, my teacher said to my mother in a parent-teacher session at at Girls High, um, and I was standing right behind my mother, and he was like, you know, she could be a mathematician. And so I'm behind him like, stop, don't say that to her. I'm geeky enough, man, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) like, don't do that. Um, and you know, it never occurred to me that that those things were connected. Um, but they're all connected. Language, I love languages and, and acqu- acquiring languages. Th- this all decoding. This that's what I'm trying to get to. It's all decoding. But also, what I learned at Temple University is that I'm gonna, because I am an associative thinker it makes it easy for me to go from one thing to the other because they, to me, it's all the same thing. So when I'm working with someone on their financial planning or their estate planning, it is absolutely no different than talking to someone about public speaking, which is absolutely no different than talking to someone else about community development or entrepreneurship. To me, it's all the same. And so, what I've learned over the years is how to communicate with other people. And, it, and it's weird when I say that I'm a generalist, I am because I'm so curious about so many different things. And I realized I used to just say I'm a generalist. And finally, someone said, Well, you're a specialist too. I'm like, No, I'm not. And they were like, How are you? <laughs> how are you not a specialist? Like, what do you have a master's in? I was like, Oh, he was like, That by definition is a specialist like you're a certified financial planner, how many of those in the country? Are like, oh, that by definition is a specialist. But to me, it's like, it's, a, it's you know, it is, it's an acquirer. I like to acquire stuff. I just don't let go of it. Like I just learn from it and then apply it to other things, which is fun and goes back to the concept of time. So for me, like during the um, pandemic, I launched two companies during the pandemic because all of a sudden I was given 20 extra hours in a week. That it wasn't like, oh, what am I gonna do with my time? Was more like the thing that had been, I had been noodling for quite some time now had space to be born. Soulful affirmations and fuse box, which are very related, again, related in my mind because inside of the jackets that we, um, that I design are affirmations that say, I am loved, I am enough, I am worthy. And I actually pray over them as we're, when I'm finalizing them and stamping the jackets that the person who's wearing it will know that they are loved, that they will be able to walk in their power. And this line is called power worn because I want people to put their power on and then wear it. And power wear was taken, so power worn (laughs) is mine.
0: I love it. And you know, in the world of you said you don't practice yoga, but everything you said is yoga, you know, you are, you know, the same, we're not making everything ubiquitous, it's not the same thing, but that everything sort of lives in in equanimity, that there's a sense that, you know, talking about the one thing and the other that it's not so different. And in yoga also, and and in many spirit traditions, you know, we talk about reflection. And reflect what we see is kind of what we are, you know, and what you're doing with this line, this um, this jacket line, the power, the stamping, the putting your energy into it for that person is you are helping to reflect back the best of individuals and our collective. And it is such a worthy endeavor that I just I feel like in the world of this energy of this of this layer that we're working with, we know that energy can't be created or destroyed. We just kind of move it around. And so in what you're doing, you're not only moving it around, but you're elevating it. And mm-hmm. so it gives us all a chance to see our best selves in the light. And you know, one of the things I had written down before this is that you are light and love in a body.
2: Mm-hmm. That's how
0: I see you. And that's how I see myself too. And that's how I see Teresa. And she reflects that back to me. And so it takes energy to create light, to turn on the light, to the sun, you know, your daughter, it's light. There's this powerful energy that is around the light. And so in this world of managing our energy, of not burning out, of, you know, you were saying learning how to slow down, that when you are inspired by everything and curious about everything and wanting to acquire all that knowledge, do you have a system or um, something that you do practices that um, keep you from that burnout?
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, yes. So I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't say Christian because I really want to separate myself from certain things, um, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, so as a result, my my grounding is there. So my grounding is in the morning, every morning, I read passages from the Bible. I often, um, there's this app that I use with my, my brother and some friends and we'll be in a plan together and we're talking back and forth. I meditate, I pray every morning before I've learned to do that before getting out of bed, because once I'm out of bed, then it's on and popping. As my friends will say, like, I'm just like all over the place. And i recognize that I've had to make that a priority. And over the years, I, I can just see the difference. Um, productivity changes is all about intentionality too, right? So, setting intention from the beginning of the day. And frankly, I vacillate in terms of my practices other than what I just said. So sometimes I'll journal. Interestingly, I haven't been able to journal regularly or frequently enough in my mind um, during the entire pandemic. And I think there's a part of me that has been concerned that the once if I start, then i won't stop and so i was just like oh I, I, we'll just think about stuff um but um so i'm an infrequent journaler but i was never really a big diary kind of kid if you will like and this is probably why i every year i would buy my daughter a journal for like her birthday for christmas and finally she said to me for the love of god do not give me another journal mommy i'm really appreciative but please i have a whole stack here that are empty <laughs> Don't give me another one. You know, so um so really having a, a prayer life, if you will, like um I think is David it, in the Bible in the Psalms that said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so this the the hidden in the heart part, I I I take that seriously that, you know, I constantly am praying. But without like the, the whole physical, you know, ritualistic part, but it's a, it's a relational kind of thing. And I think that's what keeps me calm. And then I would say that also recognizing, I've been trying out different practices. So one that I've been working on lately, um, using technology too. So I have on my app, in my, um, uh, in my phone, in my um, reminders, and I've called it Today's Intentions. And I, to give myself some grace to thinking about what is the least amount that I can do today that I feel productive. And so it's like, today I'm going to do at least. And then I set a timer for myself and a couple of hours, it'll remind me. And what's cool about it, each day I do it, um, some of the things that I said I was going to do, I couldn't do for whatever reason. So instead of writing them off and putting them on another list. They just stay there until I click that it's done. And and so that's a way for my brain to let go of the running to-do list and say, it's okay, I've already captured it. And so let the whole brain be in this moment, if you will. That's a lot, but that's what I've been really thinking about a lot lately, that how do I set my day, the intentions for the day? And then I think I have one of those personalities that I'm driven by my purpose. And that's what I was gonna say earlier, it's all connected to my purpose, right? So I believe 95% of what I do is directly co- um, connected to my purpose, which is to use my gifts and talents to encourage, inspire and even empower others to seek and find their life's potential so that together we can make the world a better place. And so if I'm, I have a series called King Crest Thursdays where I'm interviewing and highlighting black men. Well, I do the the, the Zoom call with the men, I contact them, I edit it, you know, I do all of that. And then I give it to someone to post for me. But all that other stuff is in, I have to do. So I gotta find the time to do it. And so sometimes it means I will sacrifice sleep in order to do that. It's a little painful sometimes to me, but the greater good is that other people get to see this thing and I can take a nap, you know, later. So, uh, so like, yeah, all of that, it's, again, it's like learning that I have the space and we have more time than we thought we had.
2: So you have taken your mission um, and I find this really fascinating because your mission is to share your light, your your gifts as uh, a way to inspire, but to inspire the same in others, to help them to unveil and uncover their gifts and their light and to help them on that path of showing it to others, which I think is a real uh, amazing example of the collective, right? That we... We pass this along. And so do you have a tip? I often know that when we're asked your why, what is your purpose? And I've asked that question before. It always is kind of met with this hesitation that we're never, I don't feel that as children or in school, we were really directed to think in terms of what's our why, what's our purpose, why are we here and how do we um, be of service to that collective? So when working with your clients or others, do you have something you can share about how you go through that process? Sure, sure. So I I think it's important um,
1: that we, that that every relationship is mutually beneficial, right? That there really is, is it the law of reciprocity? Like, is that indeed a law? I think it should be if it's not, (laughs) but that it's, it's, it's mutually or the law of mutual beneficiality, right? Um, that, and so even in my purpose, and I learned this years ago, I'm looking over here, um, July 14, 2007 is when I finally articulated my purpose. And it's been slightly, um, uh, amended over the years. Just recently, I worked with a coach named Valerie Dweck. Um, she's in Canada now, she was in Switzerland at the time, we did it via Zoom, sadly I couldn't go see her, where she helped me around the why and really thinking even deeper. And so I think the current manifestation of my, or articulation of my purpose slash mission is the last bit of it. So that together, like the whole point, like here's the why, but to what end kind of thing. And we added that um, so that together, individually and together, we can make the world a better place what I've learned is, you know, in our society, we are taught that if we think about ourselves first, we're selfish. But we also know if we don't think about ourselves first, we can't serve anyone else. And so that tension, I had to really think a lot about that tension. So how can I have a purpose where I get to enjoy my life? and get to help people enjoy their life or use what I have to help people enjoy their lives. And so that's, um, so what I talk to folks about is that very thing, what is their why? Um, I believe that the why is um, most important. I used to say the what, it was the most important thing but I do believe now that the why follow very closely by the what is very important. And the how I don't I don't focus on it all. Generally, we as a society, as human beings, we go to how first. How am I gonna do this? How, how this, how, how that. But the how happens in so many different ways. To me, in my faith grounding, the how is none of my business. God will figure out how. I gotta figure out why. And are my intentions pure, if you will? Like, so if I can answer my why. And then I can answer the what that is connected to that why. Then I let it alone and I'm amazed. Again, I like to be surprised. I'm amazed about how it happens. It can happen in so many different ways. So when I'm talking a lot with folks, really encouraging them to let go of the, the how, which can feel like it's, you're walking on a a, a high wire, you know, and especially for people who are, you know maybe type a personalities you know like myself i forgot we're not you're not you can't see me raising my hand (laughs) like myself i learned that i'm a type a personality i didn't know that until someone told me um but if letting go um it can be both nerve-wracking and also the most freeing thing and so being there to hold space for someone else as they're exploring letting go And that's where the seeking and finding one's own life's potential. If you let go of the how, then you have all this space to explore your why and then the what, and then the how happens, just happens. It's amazing. It's like magic
0: and we just experienced that firsthand doing this podcast cuz we had <laughs> never done it before we wanted to do it so we just started taking actions and the how revealed itself over time and you know what we may be a little clunky at first it may not be you know what it's going to be 5 years from now but you got to just get into the game right you got to just start taking the action and I remember my mom always said you learn 90 at least 90% of what you need to learn on the job um, you're not going to know going
1: in well, One Okay. Before you get, but two things. One, oh, your mom, Joan Sadoff. Let's just say her name. Mm. Uh, she's a dear soul. Um, she's a perfect example of of letting go of the how. She was, uh, my, the fact that I'm sitting here is a is a direct result of two people letting go of how, and really seizing the why. Joan, in her case, um, wanting to. Um, the what is chronicling these stories of these women, Black and white women in the 1950s and 1960s, who um, collectively and individually faced Jim Crow laws and and, and were leaders in the civil rights movement, even though none of us have really ever heard of them, save for Fannie Lou Hamer, maybe. And then, and on my side, literally wanting to create a program where we use historical facts and use history as our centerpiece to execute the arts, to teach history to middle school, seventh and eighth grade students, mm-hmm. so that they could learn about, particularly Brown and Black students, to to learn about their the past so they can synthesize their present and make different decisions for our future. And literally, I prayed. I was talking to the woman, um, biani Perez, who was running our program. She says, Val, what are we are going to do? I was like, I don't know. I'm going to pray about this. <laughs> Literally the next day, I get a call from a woman. Someone says, Val, some lady wants to talk to you about her program. And generally, I would send those people because usually if somebody wrote a book. They wouldn't <laughs> send. I would send them to Biani, Biani would read the books and then let me know whether or not we should move forward. But something said, you should take that call. And as I was talking to her, she was explaining. I was like, wait, you know, why don't you come in? <laughs> And I'd never done it. I think I even said to her, I've never said this before, why don't you come in <laughs> a couple of days? She comes in and that was the basis of this beautiful program where we have now hundreds of kids all over Philadelphia who not only know the stories of these untold stories of 12 women from the South that we never heard of before, but also the agency that these young people have. And I'll never forget the seventh grader who said, The book was called Standing on My Sister's Shoulders. The one seventh grade boy said, as I read about these women who are heroes, sheroes, it makes me want to look around my life and my mom and my aunties. They're sheroes too. It was powerful. And then a little girl said, I'm so excited. I get to be a Black woman when I grow up. So, I just wanted to stop and just note that Joan Sadoff, say her name.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And I remember from that story, she said that she went in and you, I guess, were gazing out the window when she was telling you. And in her head, she created a story that, oh, she doesn't care. She's not interested. This is, it was just, you know, an exercise in futility. I'm going to, whatever she said. And in that moment, you turned around because you weren't disinterested. You were formulating a plan. And you turned around and you said, okay, this. Is what we're gonna do, and you and my mom shared such similar energy. You're both doers, you both have the idea. She never cared at all about the how because she knew that the how would happen, like the inhale. You know, we in the the exhale, the inhale comes.
1: So I just wanted to name I just want to name that. And the second thing I wanted to name to related to what you said about being clunky, and you just gotta start, it's not gonna be perfect in the beginning. Is um I heard Les Brown say once, the motivational speaker that his teacher said to him, you gotta be willing to do something badly in the beginning. You know? And at first it's just like, oh my gosh, like, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm so committed to this that I'm willing to just stumble my way to greatness. You know, and we, for everything that we do when we're teaching music to our, to our students and they're not getting it, it's like, let me ask you something. Did you come out of the womb walking? <laughs> like, what get out of here. It's like, Oh, really? Tell me, tell me, how did you learn how to walk? Or you have younger siblings? What, how did they learn how to walk? Do you think that they're a failure because they keep falling down? Like, no, we well, think about that. We all have to start somewhere, you know, and the more we do, it, we become expert and then it's automatic. We're not even thinking about it. We're, we're doing it. We, we have these experiences all throughout our lives. And somehow or another, we've taught ourselves that we have to be immediately expert or
2: immediately proficient at something new when that's not the case. We would lose a lot of the, um, the learning experiences if we showed up and we already knew exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. I think it might even get a little bit boring because there is... It's just so rote if you already know everything that you're trying to do. So this idea of having enough, I think you said strength uh, or confidence to be raw and a little bit vulnerable is its own energy that helps us and or for me at least leads me to that why to that mission, it begins to unveil itself as you go through the process. I can say that we are, we have been a little clunky in our beginnings, but we also refined, you know, what this is going to look like from uh, this drop of an idea that transformed over time and just getting together, discussing, finding our commonalities, and discovering that why and that mission of what we could save to what we could share. Right. That would right. be of service. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. We're kind of wrapping up here, coming toward the end, but we want to talk about the things that you're doing that you want the listeners to know, so that they know where to find you, they know how to, to be a part of this incredible energy that is Valgay, that to be in your orbit. And I want to start by saying that I actually did the Soulful affirmations program um, early in the pandemic, and it was a tonic for my often restless soul. It was, you know, I have there in all the faith and spirit traditions, like you said about the equanimity, there are certain commonalities among all of the different faith traditions. And for, you know, I practice mindfulness meditation. And so, and I do it from my bed. They always say, don't do it in your bedroom, do it. it." Well, you know what? Once I'm out of bed, I'm also going, going, going. So I set it up. I make the bed. I put the pillow on. I open my window and I sit there. And that has been a practice that's been very um, helpful over the last few decades, couple of decades, Um, but the soulful affirmations took it to another level, because the way that you, and I want you to talk about it from your end, from the user end, it was seamless it was, there was intake, there was conversation, there was exchange of information. You took that information and in the alchemy of what you do, took my base experience and really wove it into gold. And so wove it into gold, turned it into gold, wove it into Rumpelstiltskin's, I don't know, there's some weaving going on there. But what you returned was my voice teaching me what, reminding me of who I think I am or who I am really in the soulful place. Mm-hmm. And so that was it's such an incredible way to, you know, manage some of my own energy in the beginning of this pandemic. But it is useful in every day, in every situation, because the pandemic was really not different than what preceded it it was just a, an opportunity a reminder of all the things that were already true but now we're in a smaller container and we've got different boundaries to explore that and your soulful affirmations were the map i needed so i you know talk about that and other things that you're doing that are in service of your why that the more of us who get our wicks lit by your candle will be able to create a huge amount of light that you know the shadows will be so small um, they'll still be there, you know, light and shadow have to be there, but let's make more light. Go.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, my partner, Helena Warren, and I had independently been thinking about something. I was thinking about it from a musical perspective, um, and she was thinking about it from an affirmation, mindfulness kind of perspective. And we were bartering one day. Um, I was teaching her piano, and she was giving me massage doing body work. And somebody said, you know, you should talk to her about this. So I showed her these videos that I had taken on my, on my phone. And I was showing her that, I, said, I I I see myself like making this music using these solfeggio frequencies that people can just watch. And she goes, I've been doing the same thing. And she showed me her videos. And she goes, but I didn't have music to it. I just had my affirmations. And that's how it came together. Um, and we decided to call it Soulful that our souls are so full of these affirmations um, that we are affirming ourselves. And so they are customized or personalized affirmations. A person will take a, uh, an assessment, and we're actually working on um, a different version of it, but the general um, premise remains the same. You take a, a, a questionnaire, and you complete that questionnaire. From the answers that people generate, then we create um, a set of affirmations that are unique to that person, what, they, what they're interested in or the areas that they need to improve. I have written original music that are infused with what are called solfeggio frequencies, which are pure tones at certain frequencies that have been scientifically proven to change, physically change DNA, to help people um, at the cellular level overcome addictions for example to heal um, themselves the some of these tones have been played over water for example and you could see actually at the cellular level how the the DNA the, the, the water molecules are, are improved if you will so we uh, we combined those together and uh, we're super excited the 2.0 version that's not quite ready but, will feature categories. So the one that you had, Sherry, was like all of the issues were in 15 minutes. And so now we're going to be more hyper-focused. So someone who's really interested in security, wanting to feel more secure about themselves, wanting self-love, wanting love from others, for example, or healing or um, financial, um, we are focusing on those. And it's it's been really great. The research has shown us when we listen to those things, um, and we have space and you can repeat it back to yourself and that, and you do it multiple times a day, that you literally can get to your your goals. We've had one person who doubled his um, his company's output. He um, in in about a month, and this is a person. he was like, "I was ready to quit. I was ready to just go and get a job, and he started listening. The soulful affirmations and he's like I couldn't believe what happened like everything just everything just changed and and it's, it goes back to a lot of what we we're talking about setting intentions and really um and to me is a manifestation of my purpose because he sought and started finding his own life's potential he didn't know that he could he could operate at the level that he was operating and and he's making the world a better place he worked with seniors and and Um, making sure that they're getting the right insurance for themselves and making sure that their health is uh, at at optimal levels. And so, and, and across the board, so that's soulful affirmations. Um, And I'm so happy about that. So thank you so much, Sherry. And and I have to tell you, Sherry, um, when I, I was just Talking to you, (laughs) like I remember saying to you, because we had done something early on in the pandemic. I think I sang and during one of your yoga classes, and I literally, I as I recall, we were just chatting. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this thing, soulful affirmations in my mind." We were still in the beta phase. You're like, "Oh great!" And then next thing I know, we have like ten clients. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing." And so we (laughs) we learned a lot. We learned a lot, and I'm just so grateful to you because one, it's always it's always rewarding when I hear someone else has benefited from some uh, idea that I had in my head that may have seemed improbable at first, and like "Eh, I don't know, maybe it's like, well, how am I going to do it? I have to talk to myself. Don't worry about the how, just do it. And then to see that it's helped someone else is beyond the beyond for me so I'm so grateful for that and so the only other thing I would say um, I encourage people like I would love to get to know you so please feel free to reach out to me at my website you can check me out there at valgay.com on there um, or through there you'll find me all the other things that I do I try to keep everything in one fell swoop I didn't want to be the guy with the raincoat and you open it up and you see all the business cards and me pull one out and give it to you, you know. So everything is right there in that portal. I do have an album that's being released. I have an amazing song that's being released uh, December 20, 2021. And there's a a worldwide premiere of the video on December twenty third, 2021, which I'm really excited about because the song is all about our time now. It's based on Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, I can never say that word, uh, chapter three. So Solomon talking about there is a time. We know this song or we know these words. In everything change, change, change. Who says that? There is a season. Change. I think it's the birds. Is it the birds? Yes, yes, yes. So it, it's the same text or similar text, or it's based on the same text, I should say. But these, this word, these words are um, at the very end, it says, this is our time. It's our time. And I truly believe it is all of our time that if we're still alive here now, after all the stuff or this in in all the stuff that we're living, that we can seize our time and and have the agency and understand that time is not running us, but that we are running time. Um, I wish I was smart enough to really explain what Albert Einstein said about the nonlinear nature of time. I just know it in my being. And that I know that we have the time that we need if we recognize the riches that we have available to us, including having all the time that we need. So sometimes you got to slow down in order to get more done.
2: That is such a, a beautiful way of summing everything up, you know, to slow down, to have more time. It's so counterintuitive to the way that we the way that we operate, and this idea that it's more productive to care for self, which you've stressed, and to slow down, but also to follow your dreams and take that first step. Um, One of the other things that you mentioned was that it's all the same to you. Whoever you're serving, you're in service of, and there's just so many different portals to bring those gifts forward, that although it might, like you've got clothing and the affirmations and your financial planning. So many different ways to connect with different people that that's what I'm leaving with. You're a connector um, and a connector in service of. So thank you for taking your time to be here and share that with us and our listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you all you listeners. I
1: do hope that you will not only continue to listen to this podcast, but that you will really working on seeking and finding your own life's potential. We need you, cause oh, I'm sorry, because we nope. need you, listener, we need you. Um, we don't need another Teresa. We don't need another Sherry. We don't need another Val. We need you, dear listener, to take up your full space because there's so much that we need to get done and we can't do it by ourselves. We all have to do it together. That is perfection.
2: We want to thank our guest, Valerie Gay, whose stories and insights have given life to programs, recording projects, soulful affirmations, an apparel line, and so much more, all of which are designed to elevate and connect. Val's impact on the world cannot be overstated. Join us for episode eight, wow, when we welcome Dr. Wendy Warner, whose credentials in the medical field are both impressive and extensive. We will talk about her journey from conventional medicine to functional medicine and the nuances that integrate the two. She offers her vast knowledge and experience to this conversation. I'm sure we could fill many episodes and every kosha with her stories. Manamaya Kosha is the spirit of this conversation, how our mind and resulting thoughts guide us. Thank you for
0: listening to Anecdotal Anatomy, We are so grateful for every listen, subscribe, and follow, as well as hearing your stories, so keep them coming. Email your kosha stories, questions, and musings to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. We may read your story on air one day. And please, share this podcast with your people! You can swing by our YouTube channel, too, for all of our teasers and other video content as our library grows. Shout out to our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny, who composed and performed our original music, and our photographer, Cindy Fatsis, who we see for seeing us. See you next time.
2: See you next
0: time.